Hi, I'm Reverend Carol Saunders, host of The Spiritual Forum. I'm here with a lot of interesting people who are consciously walking the spiritual path, experiencing and expressing the divine in unique ways and through unique lenses. Everyone here has wisdom to share and an interesting story to tell, all to inspire you on your spiritual path. Welcome to The Forum. Welcome, everyone, to The Spiritual Forum. So glad you're here. I've got a great guest today, but first I want to remind you of the Whole Planet Spirituality Retreat that I'm co-hosting at Unity Village in October this year, October 28th through the 31st, and it is called The Road to Eden. And the talk we're going to have today is going to be very much in line with that idea. The idea that we, in consciousness, there's a place where we can live, where we live peacefully, and we live nonviolently, and we live in universal love, and we live in connection and respect for all life, for all creation, for all beings, for all animals, for all people people too. So we're going to be connecting and co and collaborating and uh, co-creating in this wonderful retreat. I hope you take a look at it. It's You can find out more about it at thespiritualform.org slash retreat. Now, let me introduce my, my guest, who is Will Tuttle. And Will is the author of the acclaimed best-selling book called The World Peace Diet. And it's been published in 17 languages. He's a recipient of the Courage of Conscience Award and the Empty Cages Prize. He's also the author of several other books on spirituality, intuition, and social justice, as well as the creator of an online wellness and advocacy programs. He's been a vegan since 1980 and a former Zen monk, featured in a number of documentary films. I think you'd see a few of those. Uh, the ones that come to mind are Prayer for Compassion and what else? What the hell? What is it, Will? Cowspiracy. Cowspiracy. How could I forget? Sorry about that. He's the co-founder founder of the Worldwide Prayer Circle for Animals and a frequent radio, television, and online presenter. With his spouse, Madeline, a Swiss visionary artist, he's delivered thousands of lectures in all 50 states and in over 50 countries. And I know, Will, that you have presented hundreds of times at Unity Churches around, around the country. Um, would like to welcome you to the Spiritual Forum podcast. Yes, great, Carol. Thanks. It's uh, great to be here. Thanks, everyone, for listening and watching. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm excited about this. I've had your book on my shelf for years, and I read it, and then I read. I didn't reread the whole thing, but I I read several chapters in depth and kind of skimmed the rest to prepare for today. And it really is a very very unique book. I mean, there's not another one like it out there. Um, I thought we should start, though, as I usually do with people, is let me tell let let me let you tell your story. Um, not not so long <laughs> that it's right. only your story, but kind of how you got here, and um, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, great, Carol. Thanks. You're right. I've uh, been very blessed, I think, to uh, be involved with the Unity Movement for probably 40 years by now, and. And also with the vegan movement for about over 40 years, I've been a vegan. And those two things to me go together very well. And Charles and Merle Fillmore, the co-founders of Unity, were actually vegan uh, in, before the word was even invented in the sense that they were living their lives in alignment with kindness and compassion for animals and questioning the use of them, uh, not only for meat, but also for dairy products and for other products. <clears throat> so, uh, but I, I got into this, uh, I guess, Basically, in my early years, I was born and raised in Concord, Massachusetts, and I had kind of a, uh, a sympathetic vibration, I guess, that I 
really got more connected with when I was in college with the transcendentalists, with Thoreau and Emerson. And I realized that they had been inspired by uh, the Tao Te Ching and the Bhagavad Gita and a lot of the wisdom teachings from Asia. And they were bringing those together with the Western traditions uh, as well and the mystical traditions. And that just kind of kicked off something. I started reading Walt Whitman's poetry. It was during the Vietnam War and questioning things in general back in the early 70s. And uh, so that led eventually to me taking up meditation and yoga while I was in college in Maine. And then deciding right after college to take a walk with my younger brother, Ed, to California. We thought we would just head off and do a spiritual pilgrimage, kind of in the old way that they did it in India with no money and just walking and meditating. So we did. I remember walking down the driveway with my brother with some fresh baked cookies from my mother and a little backpack and <laughs> heading <laughs> off. And uh, we got as far as Buffalo and after a couple of months, and it was October and it was freezing. So we just walked south all the way to Alabama. And we ended up at a Zen center in Alabama, which was great. I could really med- we could meditate eight hours a day and all of that. And we also stopped for, uh, on the way in Tennessee at the farm, which was the largest hippie commune in the world back in 1975 when we got there. And that helped me to go vegetarian because they were all vegetarians, actually vegans uh, at that point. And so I really learned from them a lot about the cruelty to animals and how we can feed human beings much better if we eat the food directly rather than feeding it to animals. It's, that's a whole wasteful process. So I became a vegetarian there and then at the Zen Center in Alabama and then eventually got out a couple of years later to a Tibetan Buddhist center in San Francisco. Uh, I really dove deep uh, for probably almost a decade into meditation. I, I ended up being a Zen Buddhist monk in Korea in, in the early 1980s. Did a lot of long meditation retreats for uh, three months or two months or four months, different lengths, and in silence for months at a time and so forth. And uh, that, I think, really kind of helped create a foundation um, that deepened my vegan connection. Because actually, the monastery in Korea had been vegan for 800 years. So there was this feeling of veganism as an ancient wisdom teaching. And, uh, and then I get my PhD at Berkeley and I was teaching college. I taught college for about five years, but I always had this um, other thread of music. So I was, I was playing the piano and the music started to get more powerful when I just composed it in a state of meditation. And then there were these progressive unity churches that I had discovered when I lived in Atlanta uh, and in Huntsville, Alabama, back, way back in my early years. And so I just started going to unity churches and I resigned from my college teaching position and every Sunday, I was speaking at a Unity Church and doing a workshop on intuition. My PhD dissertation at Berkeley was on educating intuition in adults, and I was bringing in all my research in Zen Buddhism and Vedanta and other things from Asia. And uh, so it was just a beautiful, I think the Unity is a beautiful movement. It's really based on the idea of us as individuals having an authentic connection with our true nature and not having it be mediated by some outside authority figure, which is exactly what what the ancient wisdom teachings uh, uh, you know recommend, basically. So, so it was so yeah for so for probably thirty five years, <laughs> I've been going to Unity churches on Sunday morning. I've been to uh, probably seven or eight hundred times. I've been to wow. Unity church, yeah, and um, <clears throat> all over every state, every you know in other countries too, and. Um, and bringing and then the World Peace Diet came out back in two thousand and five. 
And that kind of changed everything because that really brought the vegan, my vegan message into unity more and into the general world. And so we, we've actually uh, traveled now to over 50 countries bringing this uh, message of veganism. Uh, and then also the spiritual uh, teachings of meditation and compassion for animals. Those are, I think, the two most important things are our, our spiritual life uh, to quiet our mind and connect with our inner wisdom and and then compassion for all life, ahimsa as the word, as you know, of uh, nonviolence to other beings, which I think is really the root teaching of all the world religions. And so all these things work together, I think, really well. And and I think right now, in the last, especially the last couple of years, we see, uh, I think, an urgency more than ever for us as human beings on this earth to embody these teachings, not to uh, allow ourselves to be deceived by the materialism that is being blasted at us ma- on a massive level, trying to reduce us, reduce animals to objects, reduce human beings to objects. And I've been warning for 30 years publicly that if we're going to insist on imprisoning and exploiting and force medicating millions of animals every day, as you sow, so shall you reap. If we plant seeds uh, that are carrot seeds, we're not going to get broccoli. <laughs> we're going to get <laughs> carrots. And so we're sowing these seeds uh, of violence and abuse to millions of animals. And that's, I think, a critical thing for people to recognize, not to feel guilty about, but just to understand that the only reason we're doing this is because we're following these orders that were injected into us by are very loving and well-meaning people, our parents and friends and neighbors and doctors and everybody. And that maybe it was a good idea 10,000 years ago, but it's not a good idea now. We're, we're destroying our planet and our health and our whole society with the violence and disease and the mentality of domination and exploitation of the weak by the strong. So World Peace Diet is, as you mentioned, is a book that brings this big picture of the spiritual and historical and anthropological and uh, sociological and nutritional and economic and political dimensions together, bring it all together. Because I studied all those things in my master's degree and my PhD degrees and and since then. And I think, it, you know, it's, it's really important to bring things together. Our whole education system is trying to divide everything all the time mm-hmm. and split things up. And I think Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, they were integrationists. They, they like to bring everything together. I, I'm kind of the same way. I like to... Um, to see how everything's interconnected and how our relationship with animals and with ourselves and between men and women and with nature, how it's all related and how when we heal one aspect, we're going to he- we help heal all those aspects. Yeah. I mean, you talk in your book about how we, um, we've, we've kind of lost our sense of being able to make connections. Right. Like, like we're, yeah, we can't make these connections and, and there's yeah. so much that's so that we don't see. I mean, it's not just the animals, like the animal would be one thing. Like we can't, we're, nobody knows what's going, how their meat got to their plate. Nobody knows how their fish right. got to the plate or no, nobody knows about dairy. I shouldn't say no, but if they, they, the, if they do, then they, they c- cut it off. We don't know where our clothes from, come from. We don't, we're just, we're just not making these connections. And I don't know if it's because we're so busy or. Or if, or it's the materialism, I think, that you're talking about that's very right. alluring. Yeah, it's very alluring. And it's in a certain way, I think we're, we're told that we shouldn't go there. I mean, the underlying subtext of every meal, really, is if we're eating animal foods, is let's not think about where this came from, right? I mean, really, I mean, we, if, if, if on Sunday morning we're sitting down at, at a breakfast and we're eating bacon <laughs> and someone says, well, let's think about where the, 
what the animal, what the pig went through, you, you couldn't be, you couldn't eat the bacon, right? I mean, the the misery and the violence and the hyper confinement and the terror and the fear and the pain that that poor animal went through, you're not going to talk about it. Nobody talks about it. If someone tried to broach that subject on Sunday morning before church, they'd be looked at like you're crazy. So the thing is that meals are our most intimate connection with our society and with nature. So if we're going to insist on not making the connection there. And that's the template. We just create that template of no connect, don't connect. Not, let's stay shallow. Let's not look deeply. Let's not feel deeply. Let's not care deeply. Because three times a day, these are rituals. Anthropologists mm-hmm. understand that meals are the most powerful indoctrinary rituals in any society. When we're eating food, we're eating the, the whole uh, underlying uh, set of attitudes and the constellation of norms and values in our society. That food contains that. So if we're, we're eating anim- dead animals, it tells you everything you need to know about our relationship with nature, really. I mean, but we don't want to think about that because it co- creates this cognitive dissonance and also affective dissonance. It's like we're good, kind, loving people. We don't want to think that we're causing that kind of violence and misery and terror to these animals. So we just don't go there. We just go into denial. Right. And 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 my PhD at Berkeley, you know, I focused on intelligence and education. It was in education, but it was part of it was an intelligence and intelligence is the capacity to make relevant connections. So if you have a, a ritual that everybody's engaging in where we, we just practice the art of disconnecting with every meal, we get really good. Right? That's why Charles and Myrtle Fillmore always emphasize. They say that you know, the unity is the church of practical Christianity. We're going to practice this. So if we're practicing connecting, then we're practicing increasing our intelligence, not just our cognitive intelligence, but really our emotional intelligence, our spiritual intelligence. It's all about making connections, seeing how things relate, feeling our connectedness with something more than just the little mask that we're wearing. But when we have, unfortunately, in a society where everyone practices disconnecting, it's like practicing deception or practicing anything. You'll get good at it. Or do we really want to be good at, at being unintelligent and being deceptive and being disconnected? It makes us easily manipulated. It makes us very gullible. It makes it disempowers us. Yeah. And so I think that's that what we're really wrestling with now more than ever is the tendency for us to yearn uh, to not know. I don't want to know. If I say to people, would you like to know where your bacon comes from? They typically say, no, where your cheese comes from. No, I'd rather enjoy my cheese. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't want willing, to know. It's being willing to know. I don't yeah. want to know. And the same thing happens with uh, pedophilia or you know child abuse. Right. And we don't want to know. We don't want to know. I don't want to hear that. Don't want to know. I just need to bear down and, and, and live my life. But I really feel like as we evolve into our, our design, divine selves, if we're on the spiritual path, path and we really want to be our authentic divine selves, then we want to know everything. You know, we, we want to know where we're living and what is going on. Um, and, and then, and then, th- then we can be in, in divine action. Uh, but if we don't know, then we're just kind of pretending and we're kind of cut off from love and peace and all of the things that are values of the spiritual person. Um, I want to, I want to talk about, I want to talk about the book and I want to talk about, uh, your, your wonderful way you describe how we got to where we are. Okay. So, but I want to hold that thought. I want to ask you first, because I know a lot of spiritual people who, uh, just really are pissed at me anytime I bring up something like, you know, hey guys, you know, how do you think we're going to have peace on this planet as long as we're being violent to, you know, 50 billion 
you know, creatures every year? How do you think we're going to really establish freedom if we're enslaving other beings? And man, I get blasted. Uh, I just get really blasted because I think people, I, I mean, I think, I think that people are, are so, um, so indoctrinated. We're so indoctrinated about food and it's such a, an affront. It's such an affront. And, and that, that's something you just don't want to know. You don't want to make that connection between freedom and love and peace and what we are actually doing. But then there's also people who say, um, I do get what you're saying, but you know, the meat that I eat is, <laughs> is, a, right. you know, is a cow on the pasture next door. I know that cow and the farmer, you know, shoots it and it hardly knows. And that's the cow I eat. And there, there are those people too that have the way I eat isn't, isn't harming anybody. Well, isn't, isn't causing suffering. Um, and so, so those are the two things that I have to deal with. I would want, want to know how you address those. Yeah, those are really important. And I think, um, when you say that people get angry with you, uh, the underlying idea of course, is if we're getting angry at something, then what's behind the anger? Typically it's some kind of fear. Like I'm, I'm afraid. So I just, so I, I, I have to block that, stop it right now. And we, you know, we human beings pride ourselves on being rational, and reasonable, and logical, and critic, think critically about things. And yet, uh, I've been saying for years, if we were really rational, we, we would all be vegan a long time ago because it's completely irrational to be live, to be growing massive amounts of food, corn and soy and alfalfa, and then feeding it to these animals who convert it into saturated fat and cholesterol and acidifying inflammatory animal protein and, and pollute the water and cause enormous environmental devastation for foods that really make us sick. I mean, I have been so healthy and I'm not the only one eating a plant-based diet. So we have to realize that when you, when you um, bring these things up, it's triggering the true nature of people, which is really that we're tribal, essentially. We identify ourselves by our group, the group we're in. And food is the glue that holds the group together. So when you come along as a vegan, you're, you're just, without even saying anything, you're threatening the survival of that tribal feeling that these people have and the fear that they feel that if they were, if they were different and didn't eat the same food, that they would be rejected by the people they love or care about. And so that's a big, it's a big problem for vegans because a lot of vegans feel that once they go vegan, it does happen. You, you like lose friends. People don't want to be your friend anymore because you can't go to the steakhouse anymore and eat. You don't want to. People, so so you, sometimes we have to get, we get new friends. I mean, it's a, it's a big thing, really. Food is a big, it's a big major part yeah, of our, food is our huge. society. <laughs> And for right, so for us to actually change our food, it, it sounds like a simple thing. Okay, I'll just uh, eat a plant-based diet and and go on here, but uh, it, it's not easy, especially you know the social aspect. Veganism is easier. It's it's the other people that <laughs> make it difficult. And and then the idea, a lot of people go there that well, I'm I'm getting sustainable uh, pasture raised, free range. Uh, backyard grown, compassionately, <laughs> whatever, uh, eggs and milk and meat and flesh, animal flesh. I, I just, you know, I've looked into this a, a long time and I can just say, right, I'll just make it quick and simple. Uh, it's not true. It's just not true because, first of all, animal agriculture requires us to turn beings into commodities. They have to become a thing, they are, have to be bred against their will. 
and their and their babies have to be stolen from them on any dairy, organic or not, on any little backyard operation or big factory farm. It's the same narrative. I own you. I own your baby. I'm going to steal your baby, and then I'm going to impregnate you again, and I'm going to steal your baby again. I mean, a little backyard operation does the same thing. There's no different. And honestly, if you look into it in depth, for example, I've had the opportunity since I traveled the entire globe speaking about veganism to go to animal sanctuaries all over the world in Australia, New Zealand, and China, all over Europe, the United States, Canada, these sanctuaries where animals have somehow escaped the gulag and they're being cared for usually by vegans, just live out their lives and be uh, sort of ambassadors for other animals. So you can rub a pig's belly and you can get to see a chicken. And when I talk to these sanctuary operators, anywhere in the world. And I say, ask them that question. So the, the animals you have here, some of them came from factory farms. Some of them came from little backyard operations. Are the ones from backyard operations, are they in pretty good shape compared to the factory farm animals? Pretty much they always say, no, actually the ones from, back, from backyard small operations are usually more severely abused than the ones from factory farms, mm-hmm. either from sadism or just neglect. Like usually, animal. I mean, you don't know what's going on in somebody's backyard. I mean, they may look like they put on a, a smiley face, but a lot of times these animals are are neglected, uh, and they suffer from that. Or, or people take out their. Unfortunately, they take out their their anger and frustrations on animals. Animals can't. They they know they're going to kill them anyway, and that's what they discovered yeah. in a slaughterhouse. Like this was a small scale slaughterhouse in England, in, in Devon, which is where all the hippie kind of conscious people live. And so they were eating their free range grass fed beef and they had and chicken and, and pork and they had a very small slot because the animals are killed either <clears throat> if they're if they're raised in a small operation, either in a big, they just send them all to the same slaughterhouse, where the, which is terrible because the, the line speeds are so fast, the animals are horribly abused or they send them to a small, special small slaughterhouse <laughs> where you'd think, oh, it's a small, but they found the undercover reporters found that the small scale slaughterhouses actually, this particular one anyway, was actually much more terrible because the time the workers get more and more sadistic because they're doing work that brings out the worst in them. If, if I'm just working a job or I'm, I know I'm going to kill an animal, that's my job. And then they don't cooperate. Then I, then people start torturing them before they kill them. It, it just happens. So if I go <clears throat> and take out my wallet and pay for free range meat, I don't know what I'm getting. I could be very well getting an animal that was tortured to death by somebody. Very, it happens all the time. You know, this is what this the undercover investigator was showing that, and they're all killed. And the same thing for dairy products. They found that small scale organic uh, it's much more um, abusive to the cows because they can't use antibiotic, <clears throat> so they have to use these devices that ream out the tits of the teats of the cows very violently and very painfully, rather than just giving them antibiotics. Mm. Example. I mean, there's so many things. On these small-scale operations, veterinarians say they're, they're much more uh, cruel and abusive. Um, so there's no way to do animal agriculture without killing the animals. You're going to kill them sooner or later and ending their lives and stealing from them, stealing their purposes, stealing their babies. These are animals, beings like us that have a purpose. <laughs> and they, they've, for millions of years, they celebrated their lives freely in nature. When you confine them and steal their sovereignty – that's violence. Even if you have a few chickens in the backyard and they're all females and people can't see it, they can't see the violence. And one of the things I realized is the only reason we can't see the violence when we enslave animals is because we're slaves ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's why we don't see it. 
Mm-hmm. If we were free people, we'd be going like, what the heck am I doing? I would never do that in a million years. But because we're slaves already, we think, oh, you know, I'm feeding them, taking care of them, just like, you know, what happens to me. We don't have freedom. We think we have freedom, but it's it's very circumscribed. And we are in many ways livestock. And I think the problem is that if we are going to insist on treating these animals, these free-living animals as livestock, we're, we become livestock ourselves in our mentality. And, and it's very sad for me, quite honestly, and disappointing to see so many people, even people who consider themselves to be spiritual, who not only pay and to kill animals, but really don't question their own enslavement very deeply and see that what we are in many ways as human beings, we have so much more potential than what we're actually using <laughs> in the way we're living our lives. And a lot of that is because we have been turned into livestock and we've been dumbed down and we've been reduced in our way and our capacities so that we're working a job to make someone else wealthy and, and hoping that we can get a few things out of it to retire and make a vacation and pass on our genes to our kids. And then we had a good life. I mean, we, yeah, we it's that, programming. It's interesting. Really, it's an yeah, interesting program so, that a lot of people are waking up to now. Luckily, you know, it's like it's. Have you seen the Matrix movies? Have you seen this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Matrix movies is a is a great example of yeah. is people who in the Matrix are, you know, they're just living their lives and going through these patterns and and it, it's how many people want to say, you know, my life is just a pattern. You know, <laughs> I <laughs> I do the same thing and I do this and and I mean I lived this for a long time, so I'm not excluded for this. I'm I'm much more awake now, but I lived this for a long time where it's like, okay, you know, I get my degree and get my job and I have my life. It's not like I'm just doing something I hate. It wasn't like that. I had friends. You know, we had a boat and went sailing. It, life seemed kind of fun. And then let's have kids. And I loved having kids. I would do it again. But then we got to get them in college and get them to get a job. You know, it just—it's like, wait a minute. Now I'm getting them in the same in the same little little ride ride that I'm on, and and then it's like, wait a minute, what are we doing? And are we really happy? And are we really are you know, like you say, we're not close to our potential. We know we only use like ten percent of our brain or something. We don't even ask what is that? What is the other ninety percent? Why? What, what happened to that? Why don't we? what? You know, we're just like, oh, we just use 10% of our brain and we go on. Um, yeah. And, and 10%, I think not just of our brain, but of our, of our spiritual power yes. and capacity and creativity, oh, yes. you know, yeah. I mean, there's so much, there's so much, but you know, it's understandable. I don't, I'm, I'm not interested in criticizing right. anyone. It's just to understand really that we've been wounded by animal agriculture and the mentality required of animal agriculture, which is materialism. Reducing animals to matter, we buy and sell them by the pound. I mean, that is so. If we were half awake to life, I don't think we could even hardly tolerate to be in a society that sells billions of animals by the pound every single day. Right, right. Doing right, and And you you correlated to also that the like the um, the the value of a human is their net worth. You know. It's like the same thing. We're yeah. we're just we're just uh, reducing us down to all beings down to these commodities, these things. Um, so let, you know, let, let's go there. Let's let's talk about how we got here. Um, right. Yeah, I, I'm really interested in having that conversation about your thoughts on how we got to this materialism place and the hurting and 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 where right. we might have come from. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. Briefly, it's 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 actually relatively straightforward and simple. When we just go back in history a little bit, like 10,000 years ago, we can see that there was no herding of animals before that. That's really 
started happening in what is today in the sort of the Middle East, the, the uh, Fertile Crescent area, what is today Iraq. And around that area, people started to own wild sheep and then wild goats and about 2,000 years later, wild cows. And that was, I call it the herding revolution. It changed our relationship with nature and with animals in a profound way because it's one thing to be growing plants and gardening or to, or to be occasionally hunting free-living animals. But when you start to own them and then breed them and then kill them, it's like this, that the respect we have for those animals just plummets because they're just commodity objects and property. And so we don't, if we're going to kill them, we have to just look at them as something way below us. And so the natural feeling that human beings, I'm sure, always had uh, of respecting animals as mysterious and powerful cohabitants of the earth with us, it, uh, it got destroyed really by herderism because animals are reduced to either property objects or to pests. They might interfere with my property. And so then gradually over thousands of years, gradually a wealthy elite class emerged that was wealthy because they owned the most livestock and livestock were wealth. The word capita, which means head uh, in Latin, capital, we got our word capitalism, <clears throat> um, refers to the fact that animals were wealth. The more head of cattle you had, the more capital you had. And then these wealthy herders, they, they call it, we call them the kings in the ancient, in the, Old, in the Old Testament or in the Epic of Gilgamesh or the ancient Greek tragedies, all these books that, that go way back. We have these kings and then they're wealthy and powerful because they own capital, which is livestock, but then they're always trying to increase their wealth. And so we have this, this ancient word gavia in Sanskrit, which means war. And it literally means the desire for more cows. And so war developed as an institution, which is still with us today. And it developed as an institution to increase the power and wealth of the elite, which is still what it is today. Yeah. And war led to not only uh, more power and wealth for the kings, the wealthy elite, but also led to slave, directly to slavery, because it's a small step from doing to animals to then doing the same thing to human beings. And I have noticed in my research over the years that Actually, everything that we've done to animals, sooner or later, we've done it to each other because we're not that, we are animals ourselves. So if you buy and sell them, pretty soon we're buying, we're making money buying and selling human beings, right? The same way we do animals and breeding the human beings. And the more you can breed them, the more slaves you have, you can sell the slaves, make more money. So that we had the whole slave trade coming out of slavery of animal agriculture. And then, of course, that led to the part of that was the domination of the of women in the, in the, in the exploitation of women because the whole core of animal agriculture is seeing the female animal as something to be used sexually. That's, the, that's what it is. You couldn't have animal agriculture without breeding these animals, which means force impregnating female animals against their will and stealing their babies. That's the foundation of our entire society. It's the sexual abuse of females. That's it. That's the core because you, that's the core of herderism, herding animals. And so that requires not only women to be seen as chattel property, which they were by a few thousand years later, they're bought and sold like cows and sheep. But also it harms men because boys are harmed by having this role model of a hard, tough, disconnected male that they have to emulate if they're, or they're going to, they, they won't, they'll be dispossessed, you know? So, so we have these hard, tough, disconnected males and that's a devastating force on planet earth. And we have this hurt, this basically uh, warlike patriarchal society emerging in the Eastern Mediterranean region and then spreading and destroying more peaceful societies that were less 
that were more plant-based and were less uh, herding-based. And we see that happening through the Northern Mediterranean and into Central Asia and into Europe. And then, of course, in Europe, they really spread from there. And, and when they came to the United to say here in North America, they brought uh, what, what, what the Indians called their slave animals with them and the whole mm-hmm. idea of enslaving animals. And that's spread out throughout the entire planet, you know. And as I say, it's, it's still spreading right this second th- through McDonald's and Burger King and Cargill and Kentucky Fried Chicken and Monsanto or now Bayer. This whole, I call it the military, industrial, meat, medical, pharmaceutical, media, banking complex. We have this <laughs> complex that just works great to just make a lot of meat and dairy and eggs, a lot of medica- medication, Medicine, a lot yeah. of war, and, you know, and just, it just sucks the wealth and the resources into a tiny elite. So it works very well to just keep the power in the hands of a few. But for those of us who are not in the one one hundredth of one percent of the population, it's not in our best interest to be eating animal foods because we're just giving away our money and our power to the same kings that started this thing off 10,000 years ago or 8,000 years ago, whenever it really got going. And that same system is in place. And now, unfortunately, with, with computer systems and everything else and surveillance systems, we have to realize that the, the, that mentality of materialism and commodification of life and, ter- and exploiting other beings and turning animals into livestock, it's being turned right toward us. And if we're eating animal foods, we're basically feeding that system and we'll become livestock ourselves. So it's really now, I think now is so urgent to spread the vegan message, to give, you know, the basic spiritual teaching of all religions is get what, what you want and give that to others, right? If we want to be free, give that to others. If we want to have, let, you know, let animals be free, if we want freedom and happiness and health for ourselves. Yeah. And I mean, the, the idea that God, creator, energy of all, the great mystery, whatever we want to call it, source, yeah. <laughs> that, that we are this pinnacle of creation and everything else is just stuff for <laughs> us to use. That is out of the materialism point of view. And I think you mentioned in your book that we really have, I might be paraphrasing, but like we really haven't had like a real revolution because every revolution we've had has been in the context of this, right. this using materialism, uh, commodification of beings, whether they're human or animals, that like even if like right now I've had guests on and I've talked to people about this this transhumanism that we're kind of moving into yeah. uh, uh, and 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 some people think that's a revolution, you know, the the fourth turning and the the next industrial revolution and all this. And it's like, but that's also in the context. And ultimately, ultimately, the the context has led us to this, where where now humanity is is going to lose its humanity. I think. Possibly. I know You're, that's so good. I'm so glad you brought that up. That's really an important point. You know, I, that's what I, I I think it's very clear that. The herding revolution, <clears throat> when we started owning animals as property, that was a revolution. That changed our entire yeah, that was a revolution. Yeah, toward animals, nature, each other, men and women. I mean, it just, and everything's the, the, the scientific revolution, the industrial revolution, the communication revolution, when the transhumanist, it's all within that same, it's not, they're not revolutions. We, we can kill and eat more animals faster than ever. We can maintain our superiority. And our and our disconnectedness and our fear, really, of the earth and of nature and of each other and of germs and microbes and, and we're afraid of everything because yeah, our, we're eating fear, we're causing fear, we're causing violence. It's unnecessary. I and mean, that's the beautiful thing. The thing to really say at the very beginning here is we've all been given this wonderful gift of a physical body that does not require any animals to suffer to get all the nutrients that we need to 
to celebrate our lives on this beautiful earth. That's a key point because, and I think that's been totally established that there are no nutrients that are in animal flesh or secretions like eggs and dairy that didn't come from plants. Plants create the amino acids, they create the proteins, they create all the um, uh, fatty acids, they create all the lipids, they create all the fats, they create carbohydrates, which is really the main fuel we're designed to run on, which aren't in animal foods. They create all the fiber that we need, which aren't in animal foods. All the vitamins and minerals come from the soil through plants. So there's no, there's no reason to go to an animal to get these new nutrients. I mean, maybe 10,000 years ago, people had to do it, but we don't have to do it today. Okay, so and, what do you, what do you say? Because I have, I have a few friends who will say, you know what? They'll say, I went vegan for a while, or I, went vegan, I was vegan for 10 years. And I want to talk about that term vegan later. But, uh, but then, you know, I just had these health problems. And as soon as I started eating just a little bit of meat, I started feeling healthy again. Like, what do you tell people when, when they say that? Uh, because I completely get what you're saying. I, it doesn't make any sense that, that the flesh itself is, is, is some nutrition for us if it came from plants. What do you tell people? Yeah, well, I said I think you know it's the, the thing to understand is that the new all the nutrients we need to be healthy are in, come from plants. Yeah, but that doesn't mean people when they're eating a, a plant based diet, vegan diet, hundred percent plant based diet, that they're eating a healthy diet at all. You could be eating a really unhealthy diet. So I would say people really need to eat a healthy plant based diet, which is not that hard to do. It's relatively straightforward. Just eating whole foods primarily, not a lot of processed foods with chemicals and preservatives. I think organic is very important. A lot, of, a lot of people are unhealthy because of the herbicide, pesticide, and fungicide residues that are in food and yeah. water all over the place. There's all kinds of reasons why people are, are healthy or unhealthy. I mean, it's not just food anyway. Right, I mean, right. It's exercise, it's our thoughts, it's um, relationships. <clears throat> There's lots of reasons we can be unhealthy. So we have to have a holistic view of health. It's not only the food you're eating, but the food, but the food we're eating, you know, really does need to be high quality, good food because our body is, in a sense, a, a biochemical um, well, system. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so organic, whole, plant-based foods uh, is important. So I think if people are eating organic, whole, plant-based foods and are preparing them with love and eating them calmly and happily and so forth, that there's um, a tremendous wonderful foundation for health. It doesn't guarantee who knows what <clears throat> what uh, might be in the water or in the air or the or 5G radiation, or <laughs> I'm still mad at my mother. And I'm just so frustrated with her. I'm, you know, I'm probably going to get cancer because I hate her so much or whatever. Right, I mean, right. 10,000 things that can make people sick or healthy. But what the thing that we understand also very clearly, which is not really talked about that much, but it should be, is that medication, so-called medications, really don't do much. <clears throat> it's really our belief in them it, it, that makes them work. And our belief in the doctor, the doctor believing in it also. And there's been whole studies done on this. this placebo, the placebo effect is incredibly powerful. And it's well understood that a placebo is much more powerful when it, it has uh, something about it that's either disgusting or it's very expensive or I have to sacrifice for it. Mm. I have to sacrifice. When you have drugs that are inexpensive, and easy to get, and they've been used for a long time, they very often don't work all that well. But when you have a new drug, very expensive, everybody's <laughs> excited. It's like, wow, it works really well. I or, want that or if, it's, if the medicine that really tastes terrible, oh, I had to go through a lot, man. But boy, I felt great afterwards. So it's like you have 
someone who's a, a vegan, they say, they saw some videos, maybe they decided, okay, uh, I'm going to go vegan. But uh, what, what's going on under the surface? I mean, maybe they've got 20 people in their lives that are mad at them, that they're, that, that they're not eating the way they used to eat. And so they've got all this internal pressure, the psychological pressure pushing them, maybe even subconsciously, to start eating like everybody else again. And then they think, well, but I don't know, but I don't want to eat. I, I, I don't want to hurt a, a chicken. And then they finally, they go, all right, I'm not feeling that good. Maybe oh, I'll go buy some chicken. And so then <laughs> they're so disgusted. Oh, no, this is terrible. And then they, they go and they can't stand it. It's like it's on the stove. It's, oh, it smells terrible. You know, so, so you guarantee this is going to, when you actually eat, when they actually eat that, they've, they have invested so much into it. It's, they, they're going to, they're going to make a, it's a tremendous placebo. Oh, interesting. And then, and then they, and then they're free. I can go back. I can eat with everybody again. I can tell everybody it didn't work for me. I'm yeah, one of those yeah. people that just doesn't work. Yeah. And, I, and I, I just, I just felt so much better. You know, we have to understand that we are, there's only about 3% of the population that's actually vegan, probably, yeah. you know. So the 97%, there's a lot of pressure on vegans. So it's important when we go vegan and understand the nutrition that we really make an effort to understand not only the nutrition, but to understand the psychology of our society, understand our own psychology, understand that there's going to be, you know, when I was a little kid, I, my father said over and over again, you know, the only way you're going to be big and strong is if you eat a lot of meat. You know, I, you want to play football, you got to eat meat. You know, I, that was, I had to consciously cleanse my consciousness of those thoughts. I had to go, I did fast for a few weeks, you know, and just fast and cleanse and meditate for hours and just realize that, you know, I love my father. He's great. You know, but that, but those old tapes, you know, if we don't cleanse them, they, they kick in and our body basically is a creation of our consciousness. So if we don't change our consciousness, our bodies follows along. It really does. So it's important for us to make an effort to educate ourselves about everything and realize the truth that we don't, there's no nutrients and there's literally millions of people thriving as vegans. We do have to take responsibility for our nutrition and not eat. I, I don't like seeing all this, this movement now called plant-based, uh -huh. which really emphasizes GMO, you know, uh, toxic saturated uh, grains and and burgers and lab grown meat. They're even talking about you know, stuff that comes out of a factory. That's what I mean. You know, plant based means it was made in a plant, right? <laughs> made in a factory. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we don't, I don't want know that why I didn't make that connection before. Yeah, plant based, That's right? Yeah, plant based. Yeah. So you know, if it comes from a factory, you know, don't eat it. Something that comes from your garden. The best thing is to grow our food ourselves, or at least get it at the local farm market where we know the farmers as much as we can if, it, if we can't do that then for sure have it be organic because right now glyphosate is being sprayed on everything and if i eat uh, bread or grain for example wheat for, that's that's it's sprayed with glyphosate even if it's even if it's non-gmo they, they spray glyphosate which is the known carcinogen it's a known um, broad-spectrum antibiotic as well. It kills your micro, the microflora in our, in our gut. And so they use it as a desiccant on all the grains, on wheat, rye, oats, everything. So if we buy any bread or grains that are not organic, for sure they've been sprayed by glyphosate. And for sure it's killing our microbiome. And once our microbiome gets harmed, even if we're vegans, we're going to have a lot of problems physically because we, it's digesting food is important. And the microbiome is a community of literally trillions of bacteria 
that are directly connected to all the the emotional, the feelings of happiness and peace and so forth uh, are connected to our microbiome. This is a kind of a new understanding over the last 10 years or so, but the, the, um, the, the vagus nerve and, and the hormone systems are powerfully interconnected with our microbiome. And so that's one of the reasons I think that the big chemical companies spray so much glyphosate is you can really kill people's microbiome and that guarantees that people will not be healthy and, and need a lot of drugs and have diabetes and have uh, uh, irritable bowel syndrome and leaky gut and all these things that come from that. But also their moods, they're going to be depressed, right? If you have sort of a, a, a microbiome where, where the bacteria are unhappy and are malnourished and can't get enough, just, you know, just a lot of disharmony, then that's a direct connection to our emotional center in our brain mm-hmm. through the vagus nerve. and you have a huge market, and, and the United and people in the United States now uh, are taking antidepressants at a rate that's never been seen in history. It's massive yeah, level. It so is. we have to see these are interconnected. You know, there's no money in healthy people. I haven't bought a drug in 50 years of any yeah. kind. You know, yeah. that's their worst nightmare. So we should really take responsibility for our health and find out, do the research to see how we can be healthy in terms of the water and the air, but especially the food and our thoughts. And don't allow ourselves to be polluted by all these toxins. We have to really know that the government has been captured. These agencies do not protect us. The FDA, the USDA, all these agencies have been captured. This is well understood by the industries that they're regulating. Yeah, before so, you get too far into that, which I completely anyway. agree and I see that. But I think, <laughs> I think from a spiritual standpoint, we've lost, we've lost touch with the idea of the sacred body. Like, like God created... Right. Me is this this body that is holding my eternal soul, and it is sacred. And and so we uh, we abuse it, we use it. So you talk about how we treat animals and how we treat other people. We do this to ourselves. We are using and abusing the body that is holding our eternal soul, and we're not thinking about how important it is and all the systems are and. And and what what the consequence of my putting this in my body or buying this versus that? We're so used to it's just gonna it's just gonna keep running. It's just gonna keep running. If it doesn't keep running, I'll I'll get this pill or that pill. And 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 that's that's another example of us just being so disconnected that we are disconnected from our own sacred body. And and what right. you know in I I mean I love I love Genesis the the um the theme of the retreat is the road to Eden and it's on purpose named that because in Genesis 129, well, first of all, Genesis one, whether you believe there is a God up there that is creating the planets and the world and the water and the air and the beings and mankind, or it's just a, a wonderful story of evolution or the, the energy that creates all that's sustaining everything. The story is still a beautiful story that, we are created to be in harmony. And, and Eden was this place of harmony. And nobody ate each other. Nobody harmed each other. Nobody right. killed each other. Nobody, nobody was abusing each other. And, and that's the divine, like that's the bar. That's, that's the standard we should hold. Whether we're living it or not, we should go, was this even close? Is this in the direction of Eden? Or is this in the direction of anti-Eden? And most of what we do is in the direction of anti-Eden. You know, what, we've been outside right. the garden for so long metaphorically right. and 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 physically that we mm-hmm. we don't even 
we don't even want to take steps to <laughs> little steps to even turn around and look at the direction we've come from. <laughs> yeah, and it happens really to us from the time we're born. You know, as yes. children, you, if, you, if you really go to a grocery store and look at the way children's food is targeted, I mean, even the little jars of baby food already. Uh, there are some that are just fruits and vegetables, but already there's a lot of them that have animal flesh. There's little, there's uh, chicken and turkey and veal yeah. and uh, all this stuff in a little the baby, baby food. food. Yeah, and then and then a little older the the, the 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 cereals, you know, that are just filled with chemicals and sugar and um, there's just the children are targeted with this message that that eating food and, and adults too that eating food is sort of this pleasure it's like all about how it tastes yes and and, they, and there's the whole armies of scientists that do nothing but try to mix chemicals to make the taste explode in our mouth in a way that food never did never supposed to do you know and and get us addicted to that kind of hyper sensualized food experience and we think it's kind of like the what we're what we're really um in the more traditional times we're seen as sins like gluttony and and um, and greed are now become virtues. You know, I, yes, I'm a foodie. Yeah. I just love to eat and eat and eat, and, and I just want more and more and more. I want a bigger house and a bigger car, and I want everything. It's all about me. You know, like that's like, wow, you're cool. That's really, that's that's the kind of person. I mean, that's the problem I see. In really, essentially, is that all of the religions of the world, for all of their problems and hypocrisies, whatever, they have a beautiful golden core. The golden rule is in all the world's religions. There's a basic ethical baseline of not doing to others what you would not want to have done to yourself. And this basic idea of whatever you sow, you're going to reap. The problem is the new religion, unfortunately, is, that is being pushed really hard is scientism. Yes. You know, that, that better living through chemistry, better living through science. We don't need God. We don't need religion. You, can, you know, we closed down well, all the churches. We need God, but, but God, are, God, God are now scientists and the government. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not, it's the, it's right. The, they're the priests. Displaced it, yeah, and right. And we, we just shut down the churches like they're non-essential, right? They, I mean, what's essential, of course, is the pharmacies. They're essential, but the churches, they're not essential. And we shut all that down like non-essential. And the thing you have to really remember about science is, there is absolutely no ethical foundation, zero. There's nothing in science. In fact, science is easily used uh, as a rationalization for completely anti-anything, anti-golden rule, anti-ethical. You can you can create scientific theories like we've done of 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 you know the way evolution, like the survival of the fittest, like well the strong uh, dominate the weak, and that's good, and so we're doing the same thing. It's all according to science, and so it's. Fine for us robber barons to go ahead and destroy uh, these people because we just rose to the top because we're the stronger one. It actually celebrates viciousness and uh, a predatory and parasitic mentality very easily. When the science and, and uh, the, the laboratories and how there's a whole justification about how they treat animals in the lab because it's for the better good. Exactly. It's for everyone, right. you know. And and you know, it's we hate to do this. I don't even know if they feel that way, but but it helps. It helps humans, and we sacrifice. Like, if we sacrifice a thousand dogs to save one human, it's worth it, right? I mean, right. This is totally. Yeah. But the energy of that is so interesting because it's it's like where does the energy go? And so I say about the all the slaughtering that's going on. Where does all that violence go? It, it's not like it just disappears. It's not like the thousand dogs you just sacrificed to save one life just disappears. It's it's still here trying to find a home, and and. Yeah, I, 
Now you're getting there. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, energy doesn't just disappear. The violence that we commit and we engage in and we eat, it, it, it's going to get projected. And the pills and we, we and pop. For some and the reason, animals, we're building yeah. nuclear weapons that can wipe out humanity a thousand times over. And we, you know, we, we're just driven to create horror movies yeah. and to attack each other through, uh, and not only, I mean, medical procedures that do terrible things to it. I mean, there's so many things that we're doing in surveillance systems and all yeah. these things. Let's talk about what a revolution really would look like because we, we, you know, I mentioned how what looks like we're being funneled into transhumanism, that that's still underneath the same hurting revolution. So what would a real revolution look like? What would that, what would that look like? Is, is that, am I kind of on the right, right track that that is kind of like a road to Eden? Because I know people don't think we can ever go back, that we got to go forward, but what, what would a real revolution look like? And what would it take for our whole worldview to shift enough to move away from this hurting revolution that we've been in for 10,000 years? Right. Yeah. That's, that's the benevolent revolution, uh, or the I call it, yeah. Also, the I would say a vegan revolution or a revolution where we return, maybe an evolution revolution, um, return back to our original home, our original sanity, our original Eden nature. And I think it's not far away. That's what gets me. You know, I don't it's either. Like, yeah, nothing <laughs> stopping us. Yeah, from just understanding these ideas. They're not complicated. They're very simple. They're very straightforward. We don't need to be abusing and killing animals for food. Let's not do it. So we just don't take it. I don't take my wallet and I don't pay for it. I tell other people, they say, yeah, good idea. They stopped doing it. I mean, within a few years or months, even if, if we just can share this message effectively or people can somehow open to the obvious truth of it, then imagining the culture that would be created out of that is imagining a world that's almost impossible for us even to imagine because it would be so different. But it would be based essentially on uh, food that is sustainable, so a relationship that is sustainable uh, with food. And the beautiful thing is that if we're eating plant-based foods, right, I mean, like really like grains, nuts, seeds, legumes, and vegetables and fruits, then the amount of land we need to feed 8 billion people is a fraction. I mean, right yeah. now they're saying even by the most grossly um, – you know, like it used to be, you know, 10 to one, even if you say four to one, like right now they, they say four to one, like the Oxford university says, that if we all went vegan, we could, we could reduce the amount of land under, and under agriculture from 4 billion acres, hectares to 1 billion hectares. I mean, that's huge. That's like the area of the entire United States, Europe, Australia, you know, all of that and more in Mexico, I'll put together. We would save all that land. All that land could become wildlife habitat again. We could feed everyone. I mean, basically, the earth would be saved. The oceans would be saved. Yeah. Uh, the rainforest would be saved. Everything, the environment would be completely healed. I mean, if we just would just do that, and then we would be eating, we wouldn't be eating terror and fear and pain and despair and misery and shutting that down and, and raping animals and stealing their babies. We wouldn't be bringing all the saturated fat and cholesterol clogging out up. And I mean, the whole thing is so incredibly devastating. If we could get more than just two or three percent of the people to do it, if we can get to ten percent, I think we would have ten. We would have ten percent of people like super healthy and happy and understanding. And the other ninety percent, I think, really, I think it's just reaching that critical mass. And when that happened, when that started happening, the joy and the and the freedom and the creativity that would blossom 
And we would just realize that we've been treating each other like we're livestock and the way we do what the way we're taught to have birth, you know, the way little kids are come out of the womb and get yeah. slapped around and injected with toxic chemicals. And we would, we procedure would, in we the would, hospital. We would laugh. We would like, like, I mean, we wouldn't even think about that. I mean, that would, so our children would be so much more radiant and powerful and connected and we would be more the same ourselves. And so, I mean, it's just a positive virtuous circle that would be so beautiful to complicate to, to contemplate. And the thing is that the path to that is wide open. The earth itself isn't offering any objections to that. It, yeah. There's nothing stopping She's us. Saying, there's not, literally nothing stopping us except for our fear, right? We, we're afraid to do it. And then of course, there's, there's this, um, the globalist agenda, <laughs> you know, the World Economic Forum, they don't want that to happen, right? So, so there's this massive media and massive medical pharmaceutical complex that doesn't want that to happen, right? So, so they're doing everything they can to stop it. But that's why we just have to we have to not comply. Don't comply with anything that 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 complex is trying to tell us to do. Don't believe anything they tell you. It's all lies. And come back to your intuit, all of us, to our intuition and compassion for animals, and just spread this message like you're doing, uh, Reverend Carol. And just having this this um, platform to bring these ideas. All of us can do something similar in our own way. Talk to the neighbors and live this and, and realize, yeah. you know, th this is it. We're on this planet for a few short decades and we shouldn't fritter our days away. We should really focus on what's so important. And that's this message of compassion for all living beings. Yeah, Otherwise, I want to add, add in that just a little bit because I do think that people can be very anti-vegan because some vegans are very, very anti-human. And it's, it's very, ridiculous. very important. See, this is this is what I wanted to come come back to this this word vegan because I think it has so many connotations for so many people. And I think because it kind of it, it was rooted in vegetarian, it was shifted to vegan. But it seems like it's a diet, and, and certain people eat a certain way. And I, I I see I see this as we're talking more about living in love, universal yeah. love for all beings, yeah. including people. So it's not like you bad people who eat meat. You know, we hate you. That that is completely no. not what this is about. We're talking about ahimsa, a, a nonviolent life. Right. And I also want to have a little caveat because I know people are like, well, you know, when you know you farm soybeans or peas or whatever, that you're hurting mice and all that. And I mean, I think it, this is all like a work in progress, and we're doing our best to minimize the harm. We know that we still well, harm inadvertently, but we're trying to minimize it overall. And we want to we want this to be a movement of love and peace. It's very important that we love people. People, right? It's very absolutely. Important. I mean, people are animals too, right? I mean, exactly. So we're mammals. So you, uh, veganism is loving non-human animals and loving human animals, <laughs> loving right. them and respecting them and treating them with kindness. And when people are wounded, the only reason people eat animal foods is because they're wounded, like I was for twenty years. I I I ate these animal foods. I got an appendicitis from it. I got you know I had all kinds of problems. And, uh, and I found out, you know, I was able to heal those wounds, but you know, we, we shouldn't, when someone's wounded, you don't spit on them and kick them. And <laughs> but do you think, do you think like the, the, I call them the mean vegans, the mean vegans are anti-human. Would you say they're not really vegans, you know, because they're, they're, you know, I mean, I mean, they're, I, they're, they're troubled. You know, there's a troubledness in there if you're, if you're hating on people. Right. Yeah. With the world peace diet, I, I try to put it in there and, and, and say it even more now that it's a two-step process. You know, veganism is really a two-step. The first step is 
no meat, dairy, eggs, wool, silk, leather, products tested on animals. And try to just minimize outer violence. That's the first step. It's good. But the second step is more important and, and more difficult, which is then to just actually embody this as loving kindness for all living beings in all of our relations and all of our interactions with every, with not just with cows and pigs and chickens, but with human beings. Yes. You know, so that means really cleansing our consciousness. And most, unfortunately, I would have to say most people who identify as vegans um, don't do the second step yeah. really very well. And, and because a lot of times it's because they say, well, I grew up in a church and they had the fish fry and the barbecue. I hate church because they just promote animal abuse. And they didn't see beyond that to the fact that, well, you know, they have a lot of, there's a lot of good things in the churches. And, and if, and if you, if we're going to judge these religions, it's okay to, you know, to try to make it better, but to try to bring everybody up, don't push people down and, and realize that the, um, the herding culture has created all of its institutions. It's created science and religion, right. everything. I mean, so we need to create, you know, to bring our, all our institutions into alignment with vegan, with, I don't even like, yeah, I, I'm not like you. I don't even like, I like a hymns vegan anymore, but <laughs> a hymnsa, right. Or, yeah, or, I, or liberation for all beings. Bring yeah, there you go. I like that liberation for all beings. We'll find, yeah. we'll find the right word, but it isn't, I just wanted to make the point that we're, we know that just because you eat a certain way doesn't make you a, a high consciousness person. It's, it is, right. there's multiple steps of this, you know, high consciousness people may eat a certain way, but it, it it's not, it, it doesn't go the other way around. Right. <clears throat> I, and I think that, I think that people get really confused about that, but this is a, this is a spiritual path and this is, this is the spiritual path. Um, not what, not just what you eat. It's, it's, it's how, what are your values? Right. What do you love? Right. What is, what is your life about? How do you celebrate your sacred body and who you are and be a free sovereign being. And, and, and then, you know, when you really assess that, what do I value? Then how do I live? <laughs> how do I live? Do I want to live at harming? Do I want to live causing pain to anybody? No, of course not. It's a real, it's, it's so, I always tell people, it's like, it's like clearing out all the dissonance in your body <laughs> because really I think is. a lot of our illness yeah. is that a lot of our illness, I think is that we, we think and profess and believe a certain thing, but we do all these other things. And so that just is all this dissonance in us. Our path is to kind of clear out that dissonance and really take the steps that seem hard um, because we're so culturally indoctrinated, but really it's just returning to our nature, you know, Genesis one twenty nine, Yeah. And in Genesis one twenty nine, just for people who don't know, that's where God said, you know, I, I give you all, all seeds and plants and fruits and he gave, yeah. and he, God, I know, I know it's a personified God, he or she, can, right? <laughs> he, whatever. And it was probably actually it was they, it was they at, at that time. It was, you know, image and likeness of us. Um, and also all the animals had plants and seeds to eat. They weren't right. consuming each other either. So it's like, this is the world that, that you were describing. And this is the world that I really feel like um, we're at this juncture. I think we've always been at this juncture, but we're really at this juncture now with this transhumanism or or our natural um, expression as spiritual divine beings. And we have this yes. choice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We have to really look, uh, don't go down the path of transhumanism. Maybe that, that's, um, that's, it'll, it'll look that's clever. More, that's more <laughs> of the same uh, materialism. It's that same, it's the same animal agriculture 
violence of the of the, I call it the livestockization of humanity. I guess yeah. it will <laughs> look clever. It will look clever. Like oh yeah, I, I got a better brain now, or oh, my my limb know. works. It's, it's going to look really deception. clever. It's ah, I know. You know it's like eat, here's the apple. Right there. Yes, it is. It is. It is like it is. it is like the eating of the the fruit of the tree of good and evil. Um, okay, so I want to wrap up, but I want to give yeah. you the last word, whatever you okay. whatever you want to close with. And okay, um, I do like I do like to close with something hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, no. I, I really love the last uh, little bit we've talked about, yeah. the beautiful vision of just doing the best. I guess that's the main point is like each one of us, um, I, I can't change the world, right? In the sense that uh, the world, you know, I'm living here, the world is arising in my consciousness. Uh, but I can always, I have power over, over my response to all of this, right? Uh, I can't, I don't like to try to change someone else, but I can change how I respond. And, and bring how I respond to the situation more and more deeply into alignment with, the, like what you're saying, the Eden, the Eden conscious, my true nature. So to me, veganism is not anything to be proud of. It's, it's nothing. It's just coming home to ahimsa, coming home to our heart. And see, when we see beings, we see beings. We don't see things, which means a complete transformation. So I really want to encourage everyone to engage in spiritual practices that you feel are helpful. I, I think like we, we spend about three hours every morning in meditation and do some yoga too and things, but basically just to, to connect with the silence uh, where um, we can have new ideas or inspirations coming because our, I know my mind and I think it's pretty much of all of us has been just stuffed with programming. So to kind of let that fall away and just listen, just practice the art of listening. And then the other thing I just close with is just the gratitude for everyone's attention for you. And it's an invitation. If people want to stay in touch, uh, we have a website, the world, worldpeacediet.com or just my name, willtuttle.com. And we have uh, videos of Madeline's cooking and my lectures, and we have classes and we have a schedule. We're, tr we're traveling about four months of the year doing lectures. So we have classes uh, going deeper into like, the World Peace Diet training program. So if any of this is interesting, we're happy to stay in touch. And I'm really delighted to work with you, uh, Reverend Carol, last year on the, um, on the conference at Unity Village. And this year, I'll also be doing uh, something virtually as well. So uh, just keep uh, staying in touch with Reverend Carol's work, of course, and work together, you know, work together to help uh, make the, the benevolent revolution a reality. The Benevolent Revolution. I love that. And I'll have all the links to all your stuff on the podcast page. And I also want to to really appreciate everybody who's listening. I know for some people, um, I don't know, they might have dropped off because it's a hard conversation. But others, those of you who uh, stuck with us really, really appreciate that because you know things change within us when we just have a little opening in our consciousness. We don't even have to agree, but just have a little opening in your consciousness and go, hmm, that's interesting. And then yeah. be in the inquiry, be in the inquiry. And then and then, like like Will says, start to look at all these beings as beings with have their own purpose. I mean, they're just beautiful, and they teach us so much. And they're, I mean, even if it's a spider or a bee or a wasp, you know, they're right. they, they don't have to be swatted. You know, they have a <laughs> they have a purpose that day, and they're just trying to fulfill their purpose, just like us. Um, right. Okay. So thank you, Will, and thank you all our listeners. And I now close the spiritual forum. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, you can let me know by leaving a positive rating and review on your favorite podcast app or make a tax-deductible donation at thespiritualforum.org. The Spiritual Forum is a podcast, prayer, and retreat ministry 
affiliated with Unity Worldwide Ministries. Thank you again for being a part of the Spiritual Forum community. And remember, you are an amazing, divine, and powerful being.